In episode 104, Michaela O'Donnell shared about her book, Make Work Matter, and the feedback was really encouraging. As a reminder, here are a few things from that conversation. Faithfulness precedes fruitfulness. Trust your creativity and build resilience. Failing two out of three times gets you into the Hall of Fame in baseball, so fail well. You are more than the things that you do. Take stock of your relationships. We all need help to know who we are along the way. We need to recognize the causes of burnout before it's too late. Now, her content was so valuable and she lacked any pretentiousness. So I thought it would be interesting to pick up where we left off last time with Michaela and this time make it a little more personal. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is about healthy constraints, addressing burnout, and the freedom of knowing that you can't do it all. Dr. Michaela O'Donnell is back with us today, and for this conversation, I focused on her personally, not her book or really even the work that she does at the Max Dupree Center for Leadership. Now, we all know people that seem to be made of something different. They seem to be killing it in every area of life. Now, if you looked at Michaela's accomplishments, you'd think the same of her. So I asked her if she'd be willing to demystify things for us about her personal life. Where does she fail? How can she do so much? And what is she learning along the way? You are going to need to listen to this one more than once. Please enjoy Dr. Michaela O'Donnell freeing all of us from having to do it all. Well, Steve, it's good to be back. And, you know, I really appreciate the work you're doing. And um, so it's just, it's fun to come back feeling like, come back to talk to a friend instead of meeting someone for the first time. Um, You know, how have things been since we last spoke? We last spoke about six months ago, and it has been um, kind of a wild ride in my own life on many levels. I, uh, you know, we talked last time around, I was putting out my first book and that book is, I think it's been out in the world for about six months and I, it's just been surprising, a deep learning curve of what it means to put a book out in the world and to put yourself out in the world um, in that way. Uh, So there's just, that's been a whole process. Also, my family and I, we've decided to move. We're moving at the time of this conversation, we're moving in two weeks. We're relocating from California to the Midwest, and uh, I'll keep my job. Everything, all of that, sort of stays the same. It's one of the benefits of you know, sort of our increasingly distributed society. But that that's there's just all kinds of feelings and and things that are coming with that um, as well. So I, I I feel in in different ways like I've been in my own season of transition. The last thing I'll add on to that is um, I've, I've been in my current work role for about a year now, just a little over a year. And so the, you know, you might imagine the first six months are a particular shape and style. And uh, then the next six months are different. And I've, you know, just kind of become clear what my work here is and uh, even some of my flaws and uh, strengths and some of that kind of stuff. So I, I'm in a season of deep learning Uh, catalyzed by a lot of newness and a lot of change. Welcome to the Midwest when you get here. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. We're we're welcoming you with open arms. Before we get into the the meat of it, I want to say that your answer already is reflective of why I love having you back. And I was so excited to have you back on. 
because you're in a season of deep learning. And for those of us who haven't written a book, to hear that is refreshing. Uh, because there's a there's a thing I think for a lot of us uh, that haven't written book do to authors unexpectedly or or just kind of automatically, and that's that you you have it nailed. And it's so great to hear that you are in a season of deep learning and you're an author of this book and uh, that you're human. So thank you for kicking us off that way. I, I didn't expect anything less. But before we move into uh, kind of the body of things, anything surprising happened since uh, the book came out? Well, I'll tell you, I'm moving to Nebraska. It's where I'm from and where we have a lot of family. And so we've made, we've made a choice to, to prioritize um, people and community first, which has felt subversive to both my husband and I, given our, we both have big jobs and, you know, that there's just, it, we've had to unlearn some things as we, as we reprioritize that. So I, I, We'll claim it, move into Nebraska, uh, but you might imagine Omaha, Nebraska is very different than Los Angeles, California. So we're going to be in a in a world of uh, culture shock there. Um, anything surprising? You know, this is something that people said was going to happen um, about the book, but I, I, it was still surprising when it did, is the demands for my time have They've just gotten really intense, Steve. And I don't have a best-selling book. I'm not like on the New York Times. You know, I'm not some crazy public figure, not even anywhere close. And so sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine the demands on people who are more public's time. But even for me, like somebody who had a, I, I thought I thought I already had a, a, you know, full and busy schedule. And now the, it's not just that it's gotten more full and more busy because I actually don't know if it has, but there's more demands externally on my time than before and more requests. And that requires a new kind of filtration decision-making metrics for my husband and I, and for me and for lots of other things. So it's just that demand on, I, you know, I think time is, is probably the most precious resource we have. Right. And so that extra demand on that has been surprising since the book came out. Since we last spoke, I mentioned a little bit, but I, I didn't give you specifics. I don't think until now. I got some really great feedback after the first episode. And one particular piece of feedback from a person that, that I'm pretty close with, he said that your answers dripped with wisdom. So I hope that's encouraging to you. <laughs> um, but one thing that we didn't spend much time on was uh, in the first episode were uh, your personal experiences. And, and we did talk, uh, we touched on that, we talked about it, but the focus was the book and uh, Make Work Matter is the name of the book. We'll have links to that and all that in the show notes. But uh, you're, you're a wife and a mom and a co-founder slash CEO of a video production company, a strategic uh, social impact consultant, and the executive director of uh, the Max Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary. That is a rundown. So when I read, when I read all of that, and when I list all of that, that you're involved in, it feels like you've got 40 hour work days. How are you able to run in, in so many directions? Oh, I love this question. Um, and it's a good one. And I, I mean, I think just very practically up front, like my work days like end at four every day, um, which may be surprising, surprising given the list that you just said. Um, sometimes they end at two 30 actually, um, depending on if, what day of the week it is and if I'm on pickup and drop off. And so we're talking about having a very limited set of time to be involved in the things that you just named. 
So the first thing is just the very real realization that I can't do it all. I'm not, I'm not trying to do it all when I am in a season at my most stressed. I think that's where I go. Like I go into higher control when I'm stressed for whatever reason. And so I can, I've come to be able to recognize that when I'm reaching for more control in these different aspects that you named, especially professionally, I'm like, Ooh, I'm like, Ooh, what's, what's really happening? What's the stress? And I'm becoming more self-aware. And, you know, as I'm, you know, sort of approaching midlife, that's something I think that is, is getting more and more clear for me. I think a lot about, and this is a phrase that I've, I've gleaned from the folks at Praxis. It's a organization that focuses on redemptive entrepreneurship. It helps people who are interested in starting businesses and are people of faith do that from a lens of uh, participating in God's redemption in the world. And one of the things they talk about is rather than seeking a return on investment, to look for multiples, right, of investment, like basically, okay, instead of trying to get something back for the way I invest, how can how I invest uh, spark multiples. And this becomes very, very important for me in terms of of time, that precious resource that I named. So instead of saying, okay, if I give an hour here, what is that going to give back to me in terms of money or in terms of, you know, project accolades or whatever it is, I spend a, a very strategic and significant amount of my time investing in others who then are going to have much more to do with the actual work. So on my team, I run a small team. There's seven of us full-time, about 20 of us um, part-time, but I spend anywhere between five and 10 hours of my every day uh, in that limited bandwidth at the Dupree Center in one-on-ones with people on my team. I like deeply, deeply invest there. Now, I, I invest there and empower them and support the decisions they're going to make and coach. And, and so it's, it's been uh, an exercise and a discipline and a growth for me. It's not something I think I did instinctually when I was first getting going in uh, work, but I, I, I invest in people in the, in my company that you named. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a silent partner at this point. Uh, my husband, Dan runs the company. He will come to me when he feels like he just really needs to work through something like a strategic challenge or, you know, oh, this kind of went weird and wrong. And so I become a conversation partner. What would be unhelpful is if I tried to do that thing where I grabbed the reins, because I'm actually not in the everyday anymore. I can't grab the reins. It's not appropriate. And so even if he makes a decision in our business that I don't ultimately agree with, I have to support it. And I do fully support it because he's the one that's on the ground. So that's, that's kind of just in terms of how I think about my role and the variety of things I'm involved in. The other thing here, Steve, is that I am an Enneagram seven. And so I, I like, I'm fueled by, um, variance. I'm fueled by being able to do different things. And I'm a whole chessboard kind of person. So I have other teammates and folks I've worked with where they're just really going to drill down into a specific area and they're going to master that and be awesome at that. That would actually be somewhat suffocating for me in work. And so I, I like rather than to be all the way in on something to instead, um, you know, touch multiple projects in a more generalist kind of way. So I know that about myself. And so I've designed my uh, work life over time, right? When I say design my work life, that's, oh, it's been a you know 15 year process. So it's not just something I woke up one day and decided to do. Two more quick things here. 
seeking partnerships. Like I, I think this is like, I just can't do things alone. And every time I try to, they're not as good. Even in the book stuff, part of the reason why it feels weird to promote a book you wrote is because you're like promoting yourself. Um, I'm exploring, I've got two more books on the docket and exploring partnerships with both of them, um, partly for that reason. And then the last thing is I am growing. I haven't mastered this, Steve, but I am growing more comfortable with disappointing people. And that particularly happens in my inbox and in emails and in um, some of those demands or requests for my time. I I don't respond as fast as I used to. I let things go through. Um, you know, another one of my team members who that's you know part of her job, and that's hard for me. I, I, I it's actually hard for me not to respond to people immediately and to feel like I might be disappointing them that's probably an indication of some more inner work I need to do. I need to figure out, I need to keep figuring out why that's hard for me. Why do I want to please people? Why do I want everyone to be, um, to think I'm great? Uh, so there's a lot of discipline, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of needing other people, a lot of understanding the way I work that goes into this. What I am not saying is here's all my hacks for productivity. I'm not just trying to become a more productive person. I don't actually think that's helpful for me or anybody else. So that's it. That's a lot, but that's it. Okay. I've got one quick thing for you before we get back to the conversation with Michaela. If you want a copy of her book, send a message to info at impactofleadership.com. We'll send the first three people a copy. Now, if you're number four or something after that, we'll send you some Impact of Leadership stickers or something fun. All right. Now back to the conversation with Michaela. Looking for for multiple multiples or multiplication, partnerships, knowing your strengths, your weaknesses, disappointing people. I, uh, I heard, uh, I think I've heard you and Todd uh, Bolsinger say a quote from, I can't remember the guy's names, but um, Hi, disappointing. What's that? Heifetz, sorry, it's Ronald Heifetz. Yeah, 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 Ronald yeah. Heifetz. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, disappointing people at a rate they can't absorb, uh, and that's stuck with me. So I love that. And then the uh, of knowing yourself with the variance and that kind of thing, then surrounding yourself with people that can help to balance that. And just because you didn't say this, these are my words. Just because those of us on the outside look at that that lineup of things after your name of uh, of things that you're involved with that does not tell the whole story. So this did not happen overnight and this is not a life hack uh, podcast. So um, thank you for that rundown. Uh, there's there's one other thing that is uh, totally so interesting that, you, that you're quoting uh, Praxis uh, because do you, have you ever run into John Hart? Ever- I mean, we know each other just a little bit, but not well at all. Yeah. So I, 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 it's years and years and years and years ago. Um, he was actually in my house in Wisconsin, which is so weird. We had coffee together and stuff. So to hear that name come back up all these years later is kind of a cool, like circle of life sort of thing. The world's a lot smaller than you think. Cause he's New York, you're LA and I'm in, in the middle of Wisconsin. Um, so you touched on, uh, productivity and balance and things, but I'd like to kind of pause there for a little bit and just hear a little bit more about what you're learning about, you know, the kind of the, the trifecta of, of, health, productivity, and balance for yourself? You know, for me, I've got two small kids. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So this, they, my commitment to them, and this is true for Dan, both my husband and I, Dan, 
it becomes so entrepreneurs like I'm an entrepreneur. That's like I'm just made that way, right? That's also why you get this multiplicity of um, interests. Is it's just that's how I'm wired. We talk. I talk a lot about context and constraints um, as an entrepreneur. Like, okay, what are the what's the context and what are the constraints? My uh, strong commitment to my children and the fact that some days I end at two thirty and other days I end at four and that is, you know, not necessarily typical for someone in an executive role, that becomes a constraint for me um, and a healthy one. And so I make a lot of decisions around them. They, they are probably where that balance stuff comes into play. Now, I think the area where I still have to grow in this quite a bit probably is I'm not yet making a bunch of those decisions about um, health and balance for myself yet, right? I'm still sort of sidelining the needs of myself. Um, and and that that's, I think, something that happens in leadership for a variety of reasons. I think there's parts of that that are actually healthy, that you know, you're sort of not centering your own ego. And then there's parts of it that get um, unhealthy pretty fast. And so the uh, just ongoing learning there, but they, they act as a natural constraint. So, you know, an example is um, I could probably travel about four times more than I actually do five times more than I actually do. But I have a set number of days that I am willing to be away uh, from home in a year. And it's not a large number. And so when somebody requests that I come and do something, I have to start to measure it against like these, you know, is that, is that going to make the list and, and be fairly ruthless in that. And not all of us are traveling for as part of our work, but we all have demands on our time. We all have things that are coming at us from different directions. And it's, it's the old, but very powerful adage is that like, I, I'm, I've learned and am still learning to say some pretty declarative no's so that I can say yes to other things. That, that harmony, um, that kind of rhythm, letting those be a factor, uh, letting my family life be real constraints helps me to feel more healthy. It helps me to actually feel more productive. I'm more focused in the things I've said yes and no to in work. It helps me not feel like I'm, you know, going a million miles per hour. And in the seasons when I am like, you know, maybe the three or four months around when the book came out, I'm like, Ooh, this isn't sustainable. This is not like how I can be. And so I can recognize the swing as one that I, that I can't continue on with. Um, in terms of what else we're, I'm learning about health, productivity, and balance, uh, Steve, I think you know that we're doing some new research at the Dupree Center uh, for Leadership. And this is research that we expect to, um, we're just testing it in all kinds of ways. We did a bunch of focus groups. We've been getting feedback and pushing and learning more. We're going to do some exemplar stuff um, yet this year. And eventually what we hope that will do is give birth to a whole suite of resources that, that do this kind of stuff, help people attend to their inner work. We're a faith-based organization. So help people attend to their uh, spiritual formation for the sake of um, balanced and harmonious work life kind of stuff. Um, and in that, one of the, one of the big things that I'm learning is just that people are ongoing learners. This, you don't figure this stuff all out at once. And usually you get to places of rhythm because you've been out of sync and you need to recorrect. So 
the, the advice that I let myself soak in from somebody is if you feel out of sync or out of rhythm, like let that season be instructive rather than feel guilty about, Oh, I got here or I'm not this or that. It's like, okay, like let's let this season be instructive. What is it? What is it here to teach me and how can I recalibrate for the future? So you can tell I'm, I'm, that's an active and live conversation for me. Um, learning on this stuff. Man, this is so good. So good. Um, before I ask this, this next question, I completely forgot. I had a thought and then I jumped to the next thing. You, you've mentioned your husband a couple of times. Uh, you on the Enneagram are a seven. Uh, wh- where does he fall? What is, what is, uh, he's a know? nine. Okay. So <laughs> the peacemaker, which it, it, at our best, it, that's a very productive um, life partnership, romantic partnership, parenting partnership, business partnership. At our worst, I'm all the way strung out and he's like, you know, making peace with whatever I want to do. And so, you know, we, we've had both in our, we've been married for 10 years or almost 11 now. Um, so we've had both seasons of both, but we're able to kind of recognize how, how our personalities, uh, work together in that way. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. That was just a, a layered thing to, to, uh, folks that are listening. So, we've talked around it. Um, I actually even mentioned this to you, uh, before we hit record, uh, this, this horrible, to me, it's a scary word, um, that I never really thought would be applied to me, but burnout. Um, I think it'd be great to, to hear from you. So we've all, those of us listening in myself, you, we've all heard people talk about it, um, whether it's through face to face or, you know, social media stuff. Um, it came up as I told you before in our executive meeting, uh, these last couple of weeks, it's just increased workload and stuff. And we've been talking about it. Um, so with your experience and research, I'm, I'm, I have a particular interest in your view on the term burnout. And to be very, very clear, I, I joked with you before we started recording, I am not expecting you to solve our problems in these 30 minutes. So I want to be clear on that, but I, I really do want to know what should we know and be paying attention to? Um, what are you seeing uh, when it comes to burnout? I think it's a great question. And yeah, I'm not a mental health expert, so I won't pretend to be one. Um, but my work has me talking to leaders all across different industries every week. And so what I can say is that you're not alone and I'm not alone. This is serious um, right now. And I think that we can trace um, why maybe this already present issue is exacerbated right now, right? We were all in a variety of different ways. We were in fight, fight, flight, or freeze during COVID, the peak of COVID times and our adrenaline. I mean, literally like this is, this is where, again, I'm going outside my um, expertise, but like you go, the brain is doing very particular things when adrenaline is going. And we were in sustained fight or flight trauma induced, which happens to people um, all the time. But as a society, that is becoming a more normal thing. I mean, even as you and I are sitting here talking, uh, there's been a a series of four or five really horrific um, mass shootings. And regardless of anyone's opinion on gun reform or control, we can all agree that these are, these are traumatic events and they are tragedies. And I don't know that our bodies and our brains, actually, I would 
I would wager that our bodies and brains and hearts are not built to sustain this kind of intake um, and tragedy and trauma. And that's been one of the one of the interesting pieces of uh, a more connected world, right? We, we hear more about what's going on with each other. We have this pandemic that's made possible through global travel and for all the really wonderful things about being more connected as a world, there is, it's taking a toll on us as individuals. And one of the things that I hear people talking about is right now, over the last six months and probably over the next year or two, people saying, okay, we're not in that in the workway, in that sustained COVID um, kind of accentuated period of, of, you know, intensity right now. And so now as I lift my head up, I realize, whoa, what have I been doing? Whoa, I have just been running fast for two or three years, maybe 10 years, who knows? And I actually can't do that anymore. And burnout is one of those things. It's just not an overnight phenomenon. You don't get burnt out after a week. You get burnt out after seasons of sustained, unhealthy rhythms usually put on us. It's not just that we're people who want to work a lot and we are people who want to overcommit. It's like, no, there's a lot going on and expectations are getting intense and people are quitting and we've got to solve things and you know X, Y, and Z, right? Um, and the thing about burnout is it's also not something that can be solved at once. So I'm thinking about somebody else I was talking to just yesterday, Steve, and this person is like, I'm done. I'm going to take a year off. I'm done. It's over. I'm done. And I just want to acknowledge that if you've gotten to that point where you are truly done, like you probably are done. You probably do need to step back because I... It's like psychological and, and I mean, I, I know that there's very real things like paying your bills and, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but if you're done, you're probably done. But if, if you're like, I feel burnout, I feel like I'm in the first stages of burnout and I, I'm using first stage without in a very untechnical way here. I, I get the image of, of a, um, like, okay, so my kids and I, we went to Disneyland on Monday and on the way there, uh, I let them both um, watch something on their iPads. Um, we don't do a ton of iPad stuff in our house, but whenever we travel, it's like probably just for my own sanity. All this is that because <laughs> yeah, you're human. Because I'm human. human. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. one of my, my three year old said to me, he's like, "Mommy, my like my headphone cord is all all tangled up," and he like couldn't get it untangled. And I was like, "Oh, like okay, give it to me." And I had to unplug it right? First I had to unplug the cord. And then I had to sort of sit there carefully and patiently and, you know, unweave these different strings, this different cord from one another until it was finally um, loose and straight again. I think the process of like healing and recovering from burnout is a lot like that. Sometimes like it's so drastic that we actually just have to unplug before we can even do that. But also we, we have to untangle whatever has been happening. And that doesn't happen just like getting to burnout doesn't happen overnight. Recovering from burnout doesn't happen overnight. Um, in our family, my, my husband hit this um, at one point during COVID and he, he had to take about three months off, Steve. 
And as a family, same, same as you, we were like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't, he's like, I can't believe that I'm here. And I'm like, I know, how did we get here? We're like self-reflective humans who have high capacity, but here we are. Like here we are and the health of our family and the health of you as a human and the health of our marriage and the health of me, like we're not going to be served by just pressing on. We've got to unplug. And it took about three months before he could engage. And I will say that as he re-engaged, he was able to do so as his, his normal full returned self. But if he had not taken that break, I I think it would have just been worse and worse. Um, So that's me speaking very personally um, and and empathizing and saying this stuff's very real and it's happening to a lot of people right now and there's no shame um, at all. And in fact, I think normalizing the fact that this is happening to a lot of us is critical. And though I'm not a mental health expert, I will say that when I talk to people literally every week right now, Steve, and when I think about my own family, that the headphone cord analogy comes front and center for me. Like we've got to be patient with ourselves as we do this important work. That's so that, that analogy is so helpful. Um, I'm scribbling notes as if I'm never going to hear this again. I know, (laughs) I know, I know that we record this and it's there, but I'm scribbling notes all over the place. And I put the three, you know, basically recognize, unplug, untangle. And I love this, that analogy. It's so so helpful. Um, before we move on, I just, because you talk to so many different people, I don't do businesses like, you know, similar to maybe education and, and, um, uh, like pastors at my church will take like sabbatical. Do do you hear of businesses ever doing like sabbatical esque type stuff? First of all, if it's on your mind, you should do it. I'm just saying, let me start there. I start with the end. Second of all, I, th- I see people getting creative in all kinds of ways right now. Um, I have a, um, I'm, I'm thinking about somebody who worked at a major tech company, um, a social media company, a company that we've all posted on. And on that team, they were having, the whole team was burnout. I, this was, I can't remember exactly when this was, but it was in the last year. And what their boss decided to do is say, we're going to have um, two weeks of 60% productivity, um, whatever that means, however you do it you figure it out and then we're going to reevaluate. So was that a formalized system that she, you know, sort of was come came down from the top. What I really respect about this manager's decision is that she realized she didn't have the time to wait on a formalized system. She didn't have the time to wait on, okay, and now as a tech company, we're going to institute this kind of leave for people who are burnt out or sabbatical. She's like, no, my people right now, like right now, they need to take a break. And they evaluated after two weeks and then they decided they wanted to do one more 80% week. And then, you know, the team was able to recalibrate and that worked for them based on what was going on. So I I think that if you are a person who has resources and people entrusted to your care at a manager, a supervisor, an executive level, you should be thinking about how to get creative really fast. And if if you think to yourself, but we have to do these many things, but our bottom line will suffer in this way, it will suffer more if you don't do them. It it really will. Um, that I, I just, I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, so, and, and then I see a ton of people just, it's, it's happening this summer in an interesting way, uh, Steve, uh, saying, and this is, maybe this is because I, I also have my foot, like you said, in the education world, but people basically saying, I need to do summer differently. I need to wind down. I need to have a, a full three or four weeks off. And 
Like, yes. And so one of the things I'm doing very practically on, uh, for myself is, is just that we're moving. Um, I'm taking, uh, you know, a full three weeks off. It's been a minute since I've taken three weeks off in a row, probably pre COVID, but it's not just that I'm taking three weeks off and wow, that's some, you know, grandiose amount of time. Cause you know, I'll take other time probably throughout the year at different points, but it's, um, I'm modeling that for the people who I work with, the people who I work alongside and saying, this is welcome. This is okay. This is needed. And as I do it, I actually feel a little bit of a like, oh, is this okay? Can I do this? And, and at the same time, I'm like that manager at that, uh, you know, the social media tech company, I'm like, we've got to, if we don't do it, we're going to have to, be, we're going to have more tangled up cords if we don't do it. So I think that the space here is kind of uncharted. Uh, and so if you're thinking about it, you should try to figure out a way to do it, even if there's not well-instituted policies already in place. Can you can you talk a little bit about the people that are closest to you and uh, the role that they play in your life? And I, I want to say before, before you answer that, the, the rationale behind this is I just, and I know you're this way too, you don't just end up somewhere like doing good things, great things. You have to work in order to get there. And I don't think we do it in a vacuum. I think like you talked about community so many times. And so I'm really interested to know about the people that are closest to you, how they, the role they play in your life, but then also, you know, if you, if you have mentors, if you have folks that, you know, point stuff out to you that say, Hey, check this out. So that that's where that's coming from. So yeah. Can you talk about some of those close people? Well, obviously I've referenced my husband a lot today, um, maybe more so on any, than any other podcast I've ever been on. He's like, like, our partnership is one of the great gifts of my life. Our marriage is one of the, is probably the greatest gift of my life. Um, and our children that are part of that, um, they are part of my formation in a very different way, right? Um, they're not mentors, they're not speaking into me, but parenting them has changed me. It is changing me. And so letting them be my teachers, even though they are my children, um, it has been quite critical beyond them. I I've got parents who are really with me and have been with me and have believed in me and who are also both entrepreneurs. When you describe the, the kind of, um, you know, my like, Oh, here's all things after her name. I'm like, well, those are both my parents. And, like they never missed my games and they read all my stuff. And I felt their, I felt like I was the priority in their life at every turn. I still feel that. And so that, that was my model for how to do life. And it's probably um, very, very formative, even in the, how do I make it all happen? Beyond that, I've got a, I've got a lot of friends from different stages in life, particularly I have a group of grad school friends and now we're all over the place. We're in Texas and Ohio and California and soon to be Nebraska. And this is just a group of people that we just do life together. And this is the, this is the group text that I can, you know, any one of us can just like yell cuss words about something that's happened that day or um, send a funny meme and call each other. I mean, you know, Hey, I got a job interview. Hey, like what, how should I position this, this or this? And that group of it's like, it's like it's friendship, but there's also a work element there. That's become very critical. I will also say my team, uh, my team and other professional partners, I, I really do see everyone on my team as a partner um, in different ways and, you know, fueling and, and treating those as partnerships is 
probably central to my leadership style. Am I perfect at that? No, I'm not. Do I aspire to that? And do I make steps to that? Yes, I do. And I don't just seek partners who balance me. I seek partners who are really, really, really good at what they do. And I try to create a space where they can do that to the best of their ability. And I can support that. I think that's my job as the leader of our team. Um, I also have and, and this has been less formal. Um, you know, we're doing some work at the Dupree Center right now on mentoring, and it's been hard for me. I'm like, do I have mentors? I don't know. I've never, I've never like had somebody say, I've never said, will you be my mentor? Never in my life. But I have these different key people at key junctures professionally who I have gone to with my questions over and over. Todd, Todd, you named Todd earlier. Todd's been one of them, um, one of a handful of probably 10 at different stages. Are they all active and operative right now? No. So I have these people that give me mentor-like advice, even if it's not always sustained in that way. And they have been so critical. They just, cause they can, it's like, they're, they're always older. They're always wiser. They're always more experienced. And it just, their lens on life is more developed and they help me cut through chaos and learn what I need to, and help me know who I am in ways that, you know, again, they've been at the world for 30, 40 more years. They've seen a lot more of life and a lot more people. And they help me contextualize myself in ways that I can't do my uh, do alone. So this from every, every layer, uh, this, you know, other people are, are really important here. So I am so grateful for our time together, Michaela. Seriously, I, um, I think this podcast is going to get replayed several times uh, for those of us that might be listening to it while they're driving because you're not able to take notes. So thank you, first of all, because time, as we all know, is a non-renewable resource. And you mentioned that a very valuable resource and maybe the most valuable. So thank you for spending some time with us. It is not lost on us that you won't get this time back, but you've invested in, in myself and those that are listening in. So thank you. As we close it out, what what advice uh, resources, encouragement, would you like to leave uh, those of us listening in with? Well, thanks for saying that, Stephen. I, I actually think it's the point that you just raised. I, I, I feel like this has been, like you've invested in me today. I've gotten the chance to think, I've gotten the chance to be reflective about my own learning, about things that have worked and haven't worked, about who I want to be and who, you know, where I might still fall short and that that's okay. And to have an honest conversation like this, this will now buoy me for at least the rest of the day. Like I know it will. And so I would say as encouragement and, and advice, if you will, is to be thoughtful and mindful about where you're making those investments and to not underestimate the impact that you actually have on other people. And, and that that's very, very valuable and, and ends up giving back to you in the same, same accord. Well, that's, Great place to end it. Thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to whatever the other two books are and the partnerships. And and uh, maybe we'll have another podcast where we talk about a book and then we'll have a follow-up where we keep it real. How about, <laughs> I that? How about I that? I love that rhythm. All right. Thanks a lot, Michaela. Thanks, Steve. All right. Let's jump into the takeaways and action items. I've got a bunch. So takeaways. You can't do it all. And that is incredibly good news. Number two, context and constraints. Two ingredients to make sure you don't lose your mind. Number three, harmony and rhythm of life over balance in life because perfect balance 
is a myth. Action items. Recognize the issue of burnout. And when you do find yourself in a burnout place, unplug and untangle. When you fail, let it be instructive versus feeling and carrying the guilt of failure. Now make sure you scroll down to see the links in the show notes. I've put several things there, including where you can dive into the research that Michaela and her team are doing. I'm so, so grateful for their efforts. And if you thought of someone during this episode, please consider sending it to them with a note of encouragement. Or if you need something to post on social media, don't forget, tag the impact of leadership when you do that. We have over 100 episodes that will aid in your growth as a leader. Follow or subscribe in whatever platform you're using right now to have access to all of them. And as a reminder, don't forget to check the show notes. I can't wait to be with you all again very soon. But until then, from all of us here at The Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening.